Hey friends, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashley and I have the privilege of picking up where we left off in 1 Corinthians. So today is going to be a large chunk of scripture. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Our topic today is, drumroll please, sexual immorality. Uh, thank you, Dave, for giving me this topic. I just want to give Dave a shout out for giving me this hard topic on coming back to the stage and preaching. In the last section, we found Paul challenging the Corinthians about the deceptiveness of sin and how certain Corinthian Christians were being pulled into certain lifestyles of wrong living. And if you remember, there was a fairly long list that Dave went through, right? Greed, idolatry, swindling, slandering, even thievery, which I think is very fun to say. It's not fun to do, but fun to say. But a good majority of the temptations facing the Corinthian Christians were sexual temptations. Pastor Dave talked about this word pornea, and pornea, pornea just describes any and all forms of sexuality expressed outside of God's vision for sex to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in marriage. And Corinth was riddled with pornea. It was a port city. So you have sailors and merchants and travelers coming and going all hours of the night and prostitution was thriving in Corinth. There were brothels. There were these things called Roman after dinner parties, which were like orgies. There were um, men sleeping with young boys, which was socially acceptable. There was homosexuality and adultery. But the main form of pornea in Corinth was prostitution. The city was full of prostitutes. And they even came down from the temples where people would worship. Now, just in case you're thinking this is far removed from us, let's bring this home. Did you know that Portland is a hub for sex trafficking? We have the notorious ranking of coming in second for the greatest number of children found in forced prostitution in the United States. As of 2019, Portland was the home to the most strip clubs per capita in the U.S. At that time, we had more strip clubs than we had public restrooms. This is largely because of Oregon's constitution protects obscenity under the First Amendment. And as of 2020, Oregon police said they encountered between three and five victims of human trafficking per week. 80% of those were women and 50% were children. And this year, there was a bill that hit the Oregon House called HB 3088, which would repeal crimes of prostitution, commercial sex solicitation, and promoting prostitution. So pornea just isn't an issue with the Corinthian church. It's an, it's an issue that's at our own front doors. And for some of us, it's entered into our homes. You see, what's going on in Corinth is that Jesus followers are getting sucked into Corinthian culture, specifically pulled into the upside down views of how this culture viewed sexuality. 
And in today's passage, Paul engages in sort of an imaginary conversation through this letter with the Corinthians, where he quotes really popular sayings of the day that reflect how people were thinking and then offers them correction. He says, here's what the culture tells you about sex. Here is the kind of thinking I see you buying into. And here's what I want you to do to deal with it head on. So let's dive in. In verse 12, Paul offers two responses to the popular Corinthian notion. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. That phrase there, I will not be mastered by anything, literally means in the Greek, brought under the power of anything. Paul is telling us something that we really need to understand here. When the Bible talks about freedom, this idea that we are free in Christ, that doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. No, it means that we are free from the power of sin, from the bondage of sin. For the biblical authors, sin enslaves people. Sin turns into patterns, patterns into habits, and habits into what the Bible calls strongholds, which means that the enemy has power over your life in some powerful way where you want to stop, but you just can't stop. Modern psychology would call this addiction. And we know that addiction, because of science, changes the wiring of our brains and causes us to lose control over our impulses. It causes us to check out on that fruit of the spirit called self-control. It's where we're under the sway of something so powerful that we remain powerless. And again, biblical freedom is not that you are free to sin, but that you are free from sin, free from the bondage that enslaves and distorts your humanity, our humanity, that makes us less than what God created us to be, church. Now, there was a contingent in the church who was promoting the belief that since we are free, and some of you may relate to this because I think there's a contingent in all churches that believe this to this day, that since we are free in Christ, we are people of grace. We have been set free from the rules and regulations of religion and legalism by the gospel. So let's live it up or let's live La Vida Loca as a popular song in the early 2000s by Ricky Martin saying, some of you may be familiar with it. It's actually a terrible song. Now that I think about it, it's not even good. Musically, it's not even the lyrics. Musically, it's not a good song. But anyway, I'm getting off track. We can't just live La Vida Loca. We aren't saved by following the rules, so eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That's what they thought. Our culture preaches that freedom in the absence of restrictions. Our culture preaches that freedom is the absence of restrictions. And Paul says, no, that's not true. That's a terrible rule to live by. That is not Christian freedom. Tim Keller says this about freedom. He actually has this really great analogy, and I'm going to take some time to read it for you because I think it sums up perfectly what Christian freedom is. He says this, a bird is most free when it submits itself to the laws of nature. 
If a bird would try to live in the water out of desire for freedom and to live however it pleased, it would die. Similarly, if a fish wanted to do what was right for itself and live on land, it would also die. Or think of the world of music. Is true freedom for a pianist the freedom to bang on the keys, any key they want? No, the ability to be truly free, to play and create at a high level, comes from restricting their freedom with years of disciplined practice. The same is true even of man-made creations. You are free to forego on all your old, old changes in your car, but if you do that, your car will eventually break down. True freedom to perform at its highest capacity comes when the car is treated, treated according to how it is designed. So friends, freedom therefore is not the absence of restrictions, True freedom is not just found in creating your own reality and choosing for yourself how you want to live. True freedom is found in living in a way that is true to your nature, operating according to how you were designed, submitting to right restrictions. Freedom comes from introducing the right limits in your life, just like the bird, the musician, or the car. In that light, let's consider again some of the restrictions that God gives us in his word. So friends, true freedom is not just doing whatever you want with your body. Now we're gonna move on to verse 13, which touches upon this a little bit more. So the Corinthians would say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God would destroy, will destroy them both. This is another popular slogan that was used to justify sexual immorality. The argument was simple. Sex is only physical. It has nothing to do with my spirit or my soul. It's just like food. If I have a stomach, I get hungry, I eat. God has created me a sexual being. I have sexual organs. And so when you get the urge to merge, as my aunties used to say, you go have sex with prostitutes, or you start sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or you cheat on your spouse. I mean, it's just physical, right? It's just biological. It's just like my stomach. What's wrong with that? It has nothing to do with my soul. This is what the Corinthians believed. In our Western world, where the philosophies of humanism and naturalism are prominent, we tend to believe the same thing, that we are just physical and that sex is just a biological need. So food for the stomach and the stomach for food, right? If I desire sex, then why not indulge? And here's what's underneath that. If your desires drive your life, you will end up in a world of hurt. Can you think about that for a minute? If your desires drive your life, look how much harm can come from that. If you want it, why shouldn't you have it? That's the mentality. Why shouldn't I have sex with anybody I please? Why shouldn't I go out and commit this crime? If it works for me, then why should I suppress that desire because religion tells me to? 
And here's what Paul says back to them. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He brings the Corinthians back to an accurate biblical theology. And he says the real you is not just physical and it's not just spiritual. The real you is both physical and spiritual. Friends, do you know that, that you are a physical and spiritual being and those things work together? From the on, offset of creation, you were created this way. Like the world around us says, you're just an evolved animal. You're not only an evolved animal, but you are an integrated being, which means you don't just have a body. You are a body, but not just a body, a body with a soul. This means your relationship with God is of the utmost importance, and it requires you to surrender to him as Lord and King, and not just surrendering to him in your physical self, but also in your spiritual self. So verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Here's Paul's logic in this. Jesus was raised from death physically. It was a physical thing. And so what Paul is saying here is that it is how we will exist eternally as well. Now this gets into eschatology and all the big things that only Dave needs to preach about. So we're going to skip over that until we get to chapter 15 and 1 Corinthians whenever we get there. But the point is, is that Jesus was raised physically from death. So we have physical bodies. And Paul is saying your body matters. Your life surrendered to God following Jesus is not just the spiritual experience, but it is a physical experience. And so every part of your life, every part of your sexual life needs to be brought under the rule and lived out in Jesus Christ. Jesus died to save all of us. He died to save your soul. He died to save your physical body, your memories. He died to save every single part of you, everything that makes up you. Jesus died to save all of who you are. And that means what you do with your body matters. And I can't hammer that home enough. What you do with your body matters. Let's move on to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. So what is Paul saying here? That, that you see it's not just your spirit that belongs to Jesus. Again, he's reiterating that your body belongs to Jesus. That you don't just give him your heart. You commit your whole entire life to a relationship with Jesus that includes all of you. Shall you take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? No, you would never do that. You see, when you're a Christian, the question isn't, will I be faithful to myself or to my spouse or to my future spouse? Paul says, if you're going to be unfaithful in that way, you're also going to be unfaithful to Jesus. And you wouldn't do that right? Verse 16, 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. This is Paul reminding us of Genesis 2 when it says that God invented sex for us. And he's saying that it's just not a casual activity. It's just not for pleasure or for fun or to get our cravings met. But according to Genesis 2.24, when a man and a woman are joined sexually in marriage, they legitimately become one flesh. So to engage in prostitution or any other sexually immoral relationship is to make Christ and his body, the church, part of an illegitimate union. And sex is a bond so strong that it is meant to bring people together. And this is why Paul is speaking so boldly about this. Because when you unite yourself with someone in a way that's outside of God's design, you are uniting yourself with the wrong things. And it unites you for life in a way that's unhealthy for you. And this is why sex is meant for a lifetime covenant between two people. And the Bible doesn't have a low view of sex, right? As we hear this, we can easily think that, man, this is, this is hard stuff. This is hard. It is hard. And the Bible says that God values sex. This is why this is such a big topic for us. God values sex. He has an amazingly high view of sex. He created it. It's special. It's significant. It's sacred. It's a big deal. There's a very famous painting that most of us are familiar with called the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. And the original copy of this painting is in the Louvre. And it's estimated to be around $1 billion or so. dollars. I mean, that's more than any of us uh, will make in our lifetimes. I mean, maybe you're a billionaire. I don't know. But I think, I think that that's more than any of us will make in our lifetimes. So to show how just significant sex is, we're, we're going to use this analogy of the Mona Lisa. What if someone brought the Mona Lisa to your door and they said, here's this really valuable thing. And then you take it and you throw it on the coffee table and you use it to prop your feet up on it. You put your drinks up on it. You spill things on it. It ends up being a doormat at your door. It ends up going in the game room. Maybe you throw darts at it. You would never do that with such a priceless gift. So why would you do that with the gift of sex? Why would you do that with your body? You wouldn't do that. Don't treat something that has the utmost value as if it is insignificant when it is really special. Let's go to verse 17. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul is saying here that you want to separate your physicality from your spirituality. You want to pretend all of these things don't have an effect on each other, and it's not true. You are an integrated being. He's telling them that again. And so because of that, you must surrender your physical life. As part of that, you must surrender your sexual life. 
And so in that, he says, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Let's go ahead and read verse 19 as well. Do you not know that your bodies are, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received, God, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were brought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So this imagery, flee from sexual immorality, run away as fast as you can. You know, oftentimes whenever the scripture speaks of sin, you hear language about fighting sin and fighting temptation and resisting or standing your ground against the devil and his evil schemes. But when it comes to sexual sin, the Bible says flat out, flee, run, get out of there. Many of you have probably seen the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, I know some of you probably weren't even born when the movie Forrest Gump come, came out, but it is a classic. You should watch it. There's a powerful scene in that movie where Forrest is walking home from school with his friend Jenny. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, three boys come along and they start throwing rocks at Forrest. They start taunting him. And Jenny doesn't look at Forrest and say, hey, go beat him up, go fight him, or hey, protect me. She looks at Forrest and utters three famous words, run, Forrest, run. And he takes off running and he doesn't stop until he gets home. Later on in the movie, Forrest is sharing his life with random strangers on a bench. And he says, that was the day that I've been running ever since. Friends, this is not Paul saying, try really hard to live a pure life. Try really hard to put layers of protection between you and sexual sin. This is Paul saying, do whatever you need to do in order to keep sexual sin out of your life and do it now. This might mean really hard decisions that you have to make about technology, what you have access to on the internet, or who has access to what you're viewing so they can hold you accountable. This might mean that you need to stop getting in someone's DMs. The young people know what I'm saying when I say that. This might mean that you need to delete social media forever for good, get rid of it. This might mean that you might need to take another path home from work so that you don't pass some of the things that cause you to stumble. It means that you need to take a hard pass on some of the things so that you can stay free from sexual sin. It's not something to be managed. It's not something to dabble in. It's not something to just do less. It's something to cut off in your life completely. And it's hard. Yes, temptations are everywhere, especially in Portland. The desires are extremely powerful. We all know that, and God knows that. He knows it's really difficult. And that's why he speaks so boldly and so graciously about it. All other sins, as Paul writes, are committed outside of the body, 
but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And so I have these um, nesting dolls here to just kind of show you what I really mean to hammer this, home, this point home. Sexuality is really, really close to the core of who we are. It's not the core, but it's close to the core of who we are. And so these Russian nesting dolls are a good way to kind of show all the layers that we are. And so these are going to be my layers. Let's say the first one is my love for the Golden Girls. Don't judge me. I do love Rose, Dorothy, Blanche, and Sophia. The second one is my love for music. Some of you may not know this, but I was in band in high school for seven years. I love music, all kinds of music. This is another layer of me. The third layer is my love for the Lakers. Again, don't judge me. I know you guys are a bunch of Blazer fans, but let's just be honest, the Lakers are better. That's the third layer. My fourth layer is my friends and family, whom without, and I wouldn't be who I am. That's the fourth layer. The fifth layer is the fact that I'm an African-American woman. Now remember, this isn't the core of who I am. It's just a layer of who I am that's very close to the core. And this layer is my sexuality. And this is the core. You see how close your sexuality is to the core? So there's no way that it doesn't have an effect on your life and how you respond and interact with different situations. This is why sexual sin is such a struggle for so many of us. This is why we are to flee from it because once it gets to the core of who we are, it can have devastating effects on your life and not just your life, but the lives of people around you. Please hear me right now when I say this. If you're listening and in your in, if you're in sexual sin, hey, we love you. We're not judging you. We're not mad at you. What we're saying is you need Jesus to come into your life and free you from that so that you can have healing and wholeness and freedom that can only be found in him. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. The idea here is that in Paul's world, when you would go to temple to worship, you were more aware than ever of God's presence. And in response to that, you would act and speak and think in certain ways. And here Paul is saying that when you are a Christian, that sort of temple presence and awareness of God is now with you all the time. I mean, can you imagine sinning sexually in church? Maybe some of you can't imagine that, and that is frightening. Can you imagine sinning in temple? No, you would never do that. We would never do that. Your whole life is not lived in temple. Your whole life is not informed by your actions. Well, your whole life is not lived in temple. So let this inform your actions, attitudes, and behaviors, your life. And then finally, 
Here is perhaps my favorite phrase of the whole passage. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The imagery here is right out of the Greco-Roman slave market, where sex slavery was just commonplace. Corinth, by the way, was a hub for sex trafficking, as Portland is a hub for sex trafficking. And what would happen instead of abortion in the ancient world was that they would do something called exposure. And this is where a woman would deliver a child that was unwanted and leave it out to be exposed to the elements and die. Now, the only way these children would survive was if one of two things happened. One, if the followers of Jesus, who by the second century were famous all over the empire for going out to the dumps and saving and adopting children, that's the first thing. Or two, sex traders would come to these places, take the children and raise them to be prostitutes so that they could make money from them. Now, back to our passage. Paul is saying in verse 20, God is like a king who goes down to the slave market and uses his money to buy a child who is enslaved and being sold as a prostitute. And God buys this child, brings them home and says, you are now not only just free, but you are now my adopted son, my adopted daughter. You were enslaved to sex. You were owned and used and abused by this world, but now you are a child of the king. So friends, why would you go back to a life of slavery? Why would you choose that old life over your new life, a son or daughter of the king? We live in a world full of forces trying to lure us back into slavery, into bondage, into a life of sin that so easily entangles us. But the king has come down and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's purchased us out of sin and given us freedom. Our bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit. He is in us. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, church, honor God with your bodies. I want to leave you with Paul's words from Romans 6.15. And it says this, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. Church, go forth and be free from sin. May God's favor and peace rest upon you today and in the days ahead. We love you.